You're listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. I'm Garrett Ashley Mullet, and I want to talk about everything. Welcome back to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show. This is, of course, Garrett Ashley Mullet, coming to you from Greeley, Colorado, for episode... 520 of this podcast. Today is December 20th, 2022. And in this episode, we're going to be talking about whether or not we should do good works in a public way, or would it be better for us to do our good works in secret, in quiet, in a very private way? Why the one, why the other, or does it really depend? Does it really depend on what the circumstances are, and do we need to do a calculation on cost-benefit. Also, too, before we get into that, I've got some news stories I want to touch on. Also, I want to put in a plug for a documentary that is coming soon, actually in 10 days, 10 days from today. The YouTube channel for First Things Magazine is going to be putting out a documentary on the rise of the biomedical security state. That looks really, really interesting. My neighbor two houses down, JP Chavez, sent me a link to the trailer, and I watched it this morning. And it is very interesting the way that these things are framed already. I hope they do a really good job on it, and I have a feeling they will. First Things Magazine puts out some really good content, and I've enjoyed reading them over the past year. But I'll go ahead and play the trailer for you to get us started off, and then we'll hit some news items. But here is the trailer for this upcoming documentary from First Things Magazine. Take a listen. Across the country, officials putting drastic measures in place to fight this pandemic. Certain people behind closed doors decided these are the policies we're going to adopt. The breaking news, stay at home, that is the order tonight. This, these are the policies we're going to force on everyone. Recent data shows more than 2,000 in-person school closures to date. Whether it was lockdowns or vaccine mandates. In early 2020, we saw a totally untested public health measure that we should have understood was going to have massive collateral harms. The debate about lockdowns should have been about good public health policy versus bad, unproven public health policy. But it was framed in a sort of propagandistic way in order to facilitate something that ultimately harmed the poor and benefited those people who had means. The biomedical security state is just getting started. COVID was just the beginning. Those things that were rolled out during the pandemic under the auspices of a declared state of emergency are still in place. There you go. There it is. That is Dr. Aaron Cariati sitting down with Roger Severino to talk about COVID-19, medical history, biomedical technology. Again, that is slated to be released on YouTube and firstthings.com, 1230. So December 30th, 10 days from now. Keep an eye out and check it out. Do check out First Things Magazine as well. If you want some good reading material, they have some really, really good articles, some very thought-provoking articles, and I have benefited from checking them out on a regular basis, in large part thanks to my neighbor two houses down, J.P. Chavez. He'll send me articles published at First Things, and they are always thought-provoking. Even if I'm not 100% sure I agree with every position taken, I always come away the better for having considered the positions taken. But in other news, actually a lot closer to home, let's start with a little hundred years ago from the Greeley Tribune. I am from Greeley right now, as of 2009, September 2019 is when we moved here. And I want to get more interested, more involved, more knowledgeable about local news, local events, local politics. All politics is local, 
but we've got to keep perspective and you know not think that things happening on the opposite side of the world are always more interesting, more pressing, more relevant than things happening right here. Actually, I would argue what happens in your own home is far more pressing than what happens on the opposite side of the planet. What happens in your own city, by extension, is more relevant than what is going to happen across the country, let's say in the halls of power in Washington, D.C., if you're an American like I am. What's going to happen at your state capital needs to be of more interest, I would argue, than what happens in your nation's capital or in some far-flung region. But starting us off in the Greeley Tribune, 100 years ago, some of the news stories that were being written about for the third week of December 1922, starting it off at the top, there was a car that ran off the Platte River Bridge four miles south of Greeley and landed upside down in the river. The two men in the auto, both from Denver, were not seriously injured. They were pinned inside the auto, but with their heads out of the water, they were rescued within about 30 minutes and taken to a nearby hospital. It's pretty incredible that they weren't seriously injured or killed in the accident. A Greeley jury spending time in a local trial heard the lawsuit of Fred Schmidt against the Denver Reservoir and Irrigation Co. He sued for flood damage and asked for $5,300. The jury found for Schmidt, but only awarded him $1 at court costs. The jury determined the flood was not the reservoir company's fault. Armed robbers, the next story. Armed robbers at the Denver Mint stole $200,000 in $5 bills. After taking the bills, the men got away in a motor car that was parked by the Mint and waiting for their escape. Next up, Miss Marguerite Collins, a teacher at Gallatin School in Weld County, has been named the veritable fairy in the land of Christmas. She led other teachers in the school to decorate their classrooms to make Christmas a special day for the students. Many classes had electric lights in various Colorado, while others had cutouts of miniature Santas decorating their rooms. Also, the Platteville High School basketball team was successful in beating Hudson 28-6. Hudson did not show well in their teamwork and were not accurate in their basket shooting. (laughs) Uh, Would that we spoke like this still. I guess we could. We could bring it back. You were not accurate in your basket shooting. (laughs) That is why you lost. (laughs) Uh, Also, fun uh, culinary news. Quaker Oats expert cooks have perfected a new breakfast that cooks in three to five minutes. It also has a super flavor. A special sale on Christmas trees has been launched at the Sears Supply Co. of Greeley. Trees will be selling for 35 cents to 75 cents each. Also on sale will be tuxedos and fancy suits for men to meet the expectations of the Christmas season. Now, that's really something, right? That's that's really, that's really, really something. For one thing, selling Christmas trees for 35 to 75 cents each, does that give you something of an idea of what inflation has done over the past century? 35 to 75 cents, could you get... A Christmas tree for 35 to 75 cents today. Can you get much of anything for 35 to 75 cents? I don't even think you can get a pack of gum for that anymore. They were selling Christmas trees for, you know, what do they run now? If you get a real live one, 35 to 75 dollars, I would say. That's probably closer to the mark. But then the, the latter part here, they're going to be offering tuxedos and fancy suits for men on sale to meet the expectations of the Christmas season, which is to say there were expectations of the Christmas season that you're going to go to a party for work or for church or your local club or your neighborhood or your family, and you are going to dress nice, men. You're going to dress nice. You're going to put on a suit, maybe even a tuxedo to look your best for Christmas. And, you know, this makes me think of 
last night. Last night, my wife and I drove to Denver, just the two of us. We got away for the first time, actually, since Andrew was born, just the two of us. And we had a work party for my work there at STK Steakhouse in downtown Denver. It was definitely among the very nicest of meals, dinners, uh, restaurant experiences that I have certainly ever had. I would say also Lauren as well. We just don't go out to very, very nice restaurants like that. As a matter of course, we've been to some nice restaurants or what we would consider to be very nice restaurants, but not downtown Denver, you know, STK steakhouse, uh, nice, but all expenses were paid by the company. It was a Christmas party or a holiday party. And we dressed up. We got all dolled up. My wife wore a dress. I wore a suit jacket and nice slacks. But there were definitely uh, co-workers of mine who wore ugly sweaters because you know what? That's just fun, right? It's fun to wear ugly sweaters. And that has become kind of a thing, you know, to keep it light, let's have ugly sweater contests and let's wear an ugly sweater to the, uh, you know, office, uh, you know, Christmas party, Christmas dinner, you know, let's just do that. But I'm not saying that's bad or that that's all bad or that there's nothing positive about wearing the ugly sweaters. But I do think it's special that sometimes you dress up nice because some events are, uh, they, they have expectations. It's good for there to be expectations to dress your best. Sometimes I would say weddings, for instance, funerals, for instance, you want to dress your very best and give honor to either the couple who is saying their vows, which is the sacred, sacred thing. It's this lifelong momentous decision. I, I would say the single most impactful, meaningful important decision you're going to make in life apart from choosing to put your faith in Christ. Who you marry, how you marry, how you start a family together, that is the most important. More important than what you do for a living, more important than where you live, (laughs) how nice your house is. Far more important is who you marry and what is their disposition? What is their temperament? What is their character? Do they love the Lord? So you dress up nice when you go to a wedding. You dress up nice because you want to honor this couple and you want to convey and communicate to them, we love you, we are happy for you, and we honor this thing that you're doing. Well, so also with Christmas, I would say if you're going to pick a holiday of the year that you would dress up nicely for the parties uh, pertaining to, you dress up nice for Christmas. And so my wife and I, you know, it, we didn't wear a, uh, you know, maybe top shelf, absolutely as elegant as we could be, but we looked nice. I wore my corduroy jacket, which I like very much because it kind of hedges bets a little bit. I can wear that with blue jeans, which I didn't last night. I wore with blue khakis, but you can wear that with blue khakis as well. A tan corduroy jacket. It looks really nice. I picked that up several years ago when my grandpa Renew passed away, actually. Men's Warehouse uh, had my number. Uh, it was the first time and the last time I've ever gone into a suit store uh, and spent anything like what I spent to uh, get a nice suit to go to my grandpa's funeral. But that is to say, also funerals. I think when you go to the recognition, the remembrance, the observance, and the honoring of the memory of somebody who has passed away, you should dress your best. However close you were to them or not, you should dress your best because this is somebody's life that is being summarized, who they knew, what impact they had, what they leave behind, who they leave behind. You want to honor those people and convey to them that I care for you and I'm taking this very seriously and I'm I'm being very sober about it. But even happy events, happy get-togethers, Christmas parties, for instance, I think it's good to dress your best. And I think it's very interesting that this was in the Greeley Tribune, that Sears Supply Co. of Greeley was offering tuxedos and fancy suits for men on sale. I think that's that's pretty special. 
Next up in the uh, list of stories here, and there's not many more, but next up, the most popular city for the KKK, Boulder, Colorado, was the site for a large gathering of members this week. Boulder has many more KKK members than Greeley. Uh, That might still be the case that there are more racists in Boulder. Uh, The Autry Bros store of Greeley has some unusual but popular gifts for Christmas. They include city cigars for men and dainty perfume three-flower cigarettes for women. Last but not least, let the Greeley Tribune Republican solve one of your biggest Christmas questions. What do we give our older parents? The answer, a subscription to the Greeley Tribune Republican. The cost is $4 per year for mail, $4.25 delivered to your parents' home by carrier. Your parents will appreciate it like no other gift. Now, this is really something. This is really, really something. Even just the name of the newspaper a hundred years ago, did you know that it wasn't just the Greeley Tribune? It was the Greeley Tribune, the Weld County Republican. And they merged at a certain point and they became the Greeley Tribune Republican. Now, that is really something. Weld County, they had a newspaper called the Weld County Republican. And would you know it necessarily reading the Greeley Tribune these days? Uh, I don't know. Also, too, I do wish, there's a part of me that wishes that we still called cars and uh, vehicles and such motor cars. I think that would be fun. We should try and bring that back. Uh, You know, not too seriously. We don't want to be weird about it, but that would be neat. Uh, In other news, more broadly for the region, the Denver Post has a little uh, reminder, if you didn't know, there's some very, very cold weather coming up for Denver. Actually, it may be one of the coldest uh, cold snaps, worst cold snaps in 30 years, they say. It is coming this week, so be ready for that. If you've got pipes that are kind of on the outside wall of your house, you might want to open up cabinets, put a space heater in such a way that those lines aren't going to freeze and they can stay warm enough. You might want to just turn your faucet on to a trickle or to a drip so that the water keeps on running and it doesn't freeze in your pipes. You don't have broken pipes. You're definitely wanting uh, to not have that, (laughs) the, the broken pipes and the water everywhere. We had that in our rental home in Sydney, Montana last winter. I'm just now remembering when the battery in the thermostat uh, ran out. And so the house was cold in a very, very cold uh, time of winter. We had, you know, negative below zero uh, temperatures and it, it caused some water damage. There was uh, a bit of expense, a few thousand dollars to get everything that was busted, a toilet and some lines and, you know, tees and elbows and things like that that had to be replaced, walls that had to be cut into and piping replaced in them. It ended up being pretty expensive, but if you are here, you don't want that to happen in a house that you're living in, that is not a good time. So be ready for the very, very cold weather that is coming up here in the coming days. Going a little farther afield, branching out from Colorado, Candace Hathaway over at The Blaze writes a piece published yesterday Outraged mom says school staff gave 13-year-old daughter a chest binder, encouraged her to keep gender transition a secret from parents. Quote, very definition of child predatory sexual grooming. And that is how we should think of it. That is exactly how we should think of it, is these people are preying on your children. They are predatory. And if some other parent, some other teacher, some other adult starts talking to my kids about sexual things and saying, hey, uh, don't tell your mom and your dad that we talked about this or that I'm telling you to do certain things that are of a sexual uh, nature. Uh, You know what? We've got a major, major problem on our hands. And this is happening increasingly all over the country, that these teachers, these school administrators, these school counselors are pushing kids into sexual activity and making drastic life-altering decisions 
regarding their gender identity, their pronouns, possibly wanting surgery or hormone therapy or puberty blockers, et cetera, et cetera. And I've said it before. I will say it again. Get your kids out. Get your kids out. Don't wait until you find out after the fact, after your kid has had their mind twisted and warped by these sickos, by these depraved people. Don't wait until it's too late. Get your kids out now. If you can't homeschool them, find a good private school with people you trust. But if you can at all homeschool, do. Homeschool your kids. If you live in a state like Colorado, there might even be programs that you could sign up for that will help to facilitate and fund your educating your child at home. But it's worth it. It would be a stretch character-wise, maybe patience-wise. You might not feel like you're up to it. But if you read my book, I make a long-form argument in there that it's worth it, right? It's a hard thing. It is. There's no two ways about it. It's a hard thing, but it's worth it. And if it is not, if your child is not worth it, well then what in the world is worth it? What does it profit a man to gain the whole world, but forfeit his soul? What does it profit to give our children the world, but forfeit their souls? Because the people we've entrusted them to are not being faithful stewards of the responsibility to teach truth and goodness and promote beauty and to appreciate beauty. Get your kids out, homeschool them. By God's grace, we don't have to subject ourselves to this, and we ought not. We must not. In other news, the best economy ever, not the B, Commodore Vanderbilt, if that is his real name, which I'm sure it isn't, has a little post over at Not the B from yesterday. Best economy ever. One third of Americans are considering skipping gift giving altogether this holiday season. So forget expectations concerning wearing a fancy suit to the party, wearing a tuxedo to the party that you may or may not go to, which is now called holiday party increasingly when it should be called uh, Christmas party. Even just giving gifts, uh, that is getting shelved. And you know what? It's not. It's not. I don't think because everybody's just this huge Grinch and they don't want to buy gifts for people that they know and love. It's because inflation is making it very expensive, very difficult not to get the gifts, but to have the money left over after you've covered the necessities to be able to buy the gifts. And this is absolutely joined at the hip with the federal government spending money like they're trying to set the economy on fire. You've got the Federal Reserve raising interest rates, trying to constrict the money supply, but then you also have Congress passing a $1.7 trillion with a T dollar uh, omnibus spending bill, and so much of our money is going overseas, it is totally irresponsible. We don't even fathom what $1.7 trillion translates to, I don't think. This is $5,700 per man, woman, and child in the U.S. If, assuming my rough math is correct, there are 300 million people here in the U.S. This is $5,700 for every man, woman, and child. In my household, that would translate into $57,000. $57,000. I'm talking counting everybody from Andrew all the way on up to me, my wife, all my children, myself, $57,000. And how many of those tens of thousands are being sent overseas to countries like Ukraine? However much we may feel for the people of Ukraine, it is unconscionable that our money is being taken away and sent overseas when you have people not even being able to afford buying Christmas gifts, having a hard time making ends meet, paying for the necessities here in the United States. Housing, utilities costs, food, clothing. It's just, it's not responsible. There has to be a point at which you say, that's it. That's enough. No, stop. But are we there yet? Um, I don't think so. I don't think we're quite there yet. Or many of us don't even know what it looks like to be able to say, no, stop. And be heard. Uh, who knows where it goes from here? 
<laughs> who knows where it goes. This Christmas, a lot of folks are just not going to be buying gifts at all. A lot of folks are going to be not buying as many gifts or as expensive of gifts. And I think that's unfortunate, but what do you do, right? What you can do is remember to keep the main thing, the main thing. The main thing is not buying gifts. It's not receiving gifts. It's not even giving gifts. The main thing is not stimulating the economy by spending money or having money spent on you. The big idea is that the most precious gift has already been given to us and that in Christ, in the God-man who took on flesh, who lived a sinless life, who died in our stead to atone for our sins, to ransom us, to conquer sin and death, in Christ we have everything that we need for life and godliness. That is the very great gift. And that's already been given and it's already been paid for. And thank God for that. Next up, on a more national level, the FBI faces subpoenas after Twitter files exposing social media ties, according to a House Republican, according to reporting by Frank Fang over at the Epoch Times. This piece also published yesterday, updated yesterday. Rep. Michael Turner from Ohio speaks during a press conference on the 2023 fiscal year at the Capitol building in Washington on December 14th. And he is also the one being quoted here that they may subpoena the FBI. And I think that would be wise. I think that would be a good uh, next step and do something, right? Do something about it, lawmakers. The FBI has got to be brought to heel. These intelligence agencies have got to be accountable. They cannot just do this and get away with it. It's unacceptable. There's so much else that we are just not able to say no to and put a stop to if we don't stop the folks who are being very dishonest, very deceptive, uh, very manipulative with our political process from sending lists of individual American citizens to Twitter, for instance, and saying, uh, we want you to suppress these people. We want you to silence these people. Giving millions of dollars to Twitter executives uh, to kind of sweeten the pot uh, for them suppressing the Hunter Biden laptop story unacceptable. That's got to stop. The people who are responsible for that need to be fired. The people who knew about it and said nothing need to be fired. They are not trustworthy and we cannot trust them. Last but not least, this one of a more sciency nature, Frank Fang over at the Epoch Times is telling us about uh, the Republican lawmaker calling for the FBI to be subpoenaed. Hank Berrien Meanwhile, over the Daily Wire, wants to let us know about a shockwave that hit the Earth and cracked our magnetosphere that protects the planet from radiation. Now, this happened Sunday night, and it is due to hyperactive solar flares. That is to say, the sun is experiencing some solar storms that are pretty intense. And the long and short of it is in 1859... The largest solar storm ever recorded, according to live science, called the Carrington event, is believed, and I quote, to have released energy equivalent to 10 billion one megaton atomic bombs wrecking telegraph systems around the world. What happens if we have an X-class flare? Those are the most powerful. An X-class flare hit the planet now. What happens to our satellites? What happens to our communications hardware now? Uh, well, I don't know. I don't know. That could be a major disruption, and that could change a lot of what we consider to be important, feasible, unfeasible. That could change quite a lot. And this is where it's good for us to remember and keep perspective in the midst of all of these concerning stories about people misbehaving, acting badly, behaving corruptly, being wicked. There is a God in heaven who knows precisely what happens next, and is in control of it. And I think sometimes when we read about in the Bible, there being these natural disasters and earthquakes and the ground opening up and swallowing people, or there being fire from heaven or what have you, when we read about these supernatural events like the global flood, we see those things and we think, man, that's really harsh and 
How could God do that? We don't appreciate how bad the sin problem really is. And we don't appreciate, many of us, I think, how insurmountable it can get to be sometimes when very wicked and determined people are running amok. And sometimes the only way that they are stopped and the only way the people they are oppressing are relieved is when God supernaturally intervenes and upsets all their plans, sending a storm, sending a disaster to repay what it is that they have been uh, investing themselves in. You know, the wicked are not going to prosper forever. Don't be jealous of them. If it seems as though there's a lot of money, there's a lot of wealth, there's a lot of power that's been concentrated in the hands of some very corrupt people, and we see story after story to that effect, don't lose heart. Don't lose heart because there is a God in heaven to whom all things rightfully belong and to whom is the right uh, of (laughs) us to make an appeal. Uh, We have the right to appeal to heaven and ask God to deliver us from evil, to lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For his is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now, all of these news stories aside, some of them fun, some of them not so fun, some of them just odd and weird and interesting. Let's do talk about doing good works. It's a good season, especially if you can't buy gifts because uh, you, you know the budget's tight, money's tight, everything's more expensive, but your labor, your compensation for your work. A lot of folk might go the route of just serving others. Hey, I can't buy gifts. I'm going to serve others. And when we go that route as Christians, doing good works for others, being generous with our time, with our attention, in particular, if you don't have the money to spend, even if we're doing good works in the sense of being charitable, we can set up for ourselves a dilemma about how quietly or how publicly we do those good works or we are generous in serving others. And there's two passages in Matthew in the Sermon on the Mount, which I think set up a tension for us. Because on the one hand, you have Matthew 5, 13 through 16. And on the other hand, you've got Matthew 6, 1 through 4. And at first glance, it would appear that they're saying the opposite thing, right? On the one hand, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Let your light shine before others, that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. On the other hand, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. So what resolves that tension? And is it always the same conclusion? Well, it can't be, right? It can't be. Sometimes it's the one, sometimes it's the other. I'm convinced of that. JP actually was asking me this just yesterday. He messaged me in the morning. He says, hey, I'm curious, what do you think of you know, those two passages in contrast and comparison to one another? What, what do we do with these two passages? And I said, you know, I, I think I would like to do a podcast episode about this, but for now, here's my answer. And so now I'm going to give you basically the answer that I gave him, which is that we have to do the cost benefit one way or the other. If doing our good works before others, before men, causes them to give glory to our Father in heaven, then that is what we should do. If they might give glory to our Father who is in heaven more so when we do these good works privately, well, then that's what we should do, right? So on the other hand, if we can serve others, we can love them well by doing a thing in a public way, well, then let's do that. So for instance, the full reading of Matthew 5, 13 through 16. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. This isn't just 
something that we're doing for God. It's also something we're doing for others so that they may see our good works and give glory because it's good for them to give glory to our Father who is in heaven. It's good for them. It's good for their soul to give praise, to worship God, to thank God, to appreciate the goodness of God. And sometimes being salt and light in a public way serves others well because it sets a good example for them to follow or they need to be a part of this in order for it to be successful or it just warms their souls. It warms their spirit. That's another consideration we've got to factor in. We need to be salty salt, not salt that's lost its taste. (laughs) Not salt that is tasteless. We need to be salty salt, which adds flavor, which draws out the flavor of the goodness of God. Taste and see that the Lord is good. That reflects God's goodness because we are image bearers. That's what it means that we are image bearers. And actually too, like we were talking in our last episode about overpopulation concerns and the dominion mandate, being fruitful and multiplying, filling the earth and subduing it. What are we filling the earth with? We're filling the earth with image bearers of the Lord God Almighty. But it is good to be the salt of the earth. You know, I was talking with this project manager where I work. He was the one who was footing the bill on behalf of the company at our Christmas dinner last night. And we were comparing notes. He's been all over the country. I've been all over the country. He bounces back and forth between Calgary and Denver and Gillette and Houston and West Texas. And in talking about, let's say, Gillette, Wyoming, for instance, we were comparing notes on the kind of people in Gillette you will typically encounter. And I was explaining to him, Gillette was always my stop-off midpoint when I would drive from Sydney, Montana to Greeley, Colorado for work. If I had some project down here before we moved, I would stop off in Gillette to stretch my legs. And I would stop off at Walmart in particular because you can walk around the place. All weather, doesn't matter what time, they're open. If you realize you need to buy a soft drink or bag of chips or some jerky or whatever, you can do that. And also you can people watch. You can kind of get a taste and a feel for what the local community is like as they're there, most of them, to buy their groceries, get their kids' school supplies, pick out some clothes, etc. And we agreed that, you know, there's just something about the little vibe you get when you're in Gillette. There's a salt-of-the-earth, hardworking type of culture, tone, attitude, flavor, salt of the earth. What do we mean by that? We mean these are people who are minding their own business, not bothering anybody, going about their shopping and their walking around and they're driving around in a matter-of-fact, plain-spoken way, an unobtrusive way, not loudly, not ostentatiously, but just plainly and productively and calmly. And I think that's part of what Jesus is getting at here in Matthew 5, 13 through 16, when he talks about us being the salt of the earth. When he talks about us being the light of the world, a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden, not all of our goodness and decency is to be kept private to ourselves, not in a shy way, and also not in a selfish way. And sometimes those two are one and the same. But rather, we're giving light to all in the house. If we're a lamp, and if, as a community of believers, we are a city set on a hill, Well then, what's the benefit of that? If you're wandering around in the darkness, in the wilderness, and you see lights up ahead, like my wife and I saw as we were driving to Denver last night to go to this dinner, you see lights, you see all the more lights, the bigger the city. If there were no lights, 
you might not know where to go to get what you need, to find shelter, food, various goods and supplies, help, assistance, security. But a city set on a hill that is lit up at night tells you exactly where to go for those things. If it's a good city, if it's a city marked by good works. Now, if it's an evil city, if it's a wicked city full of violent people and criminals and fraudsters and liars and such like that, abusers of mankind, well, maybe that also has a benefit. (laughs) You see where you don't want to go. let's, Let's avoid that place. Let's not go there. But this is also part of why you want your good works to be seen by men sometimes because it changes the culture. It changes the nature of the city, even for those who are not Christians. Do they not benefit if my wife and I show up, for instance, even if they're not Christians, do they not benefit when we take a genuine interest in them, when they ask us about our family and we say, we have eight kids. Wait, wait, wait. What? You have eight kids? Yep. Yep. Here's a picture. Look at them and their smiling faces. Oh, they're beautiful. You have very good-looking kids. Oh, thank you. We homeschool. Wow, really? How does that work? Well, there's lots of curriculum options. There's a lot of curriculum options. Wow, they look happy. They look well-adjusted. Huh. I wonder if there are some things that we can learn that would help us to raise our kids. You know, if those wheels start turning and that has a positive effect on them, regardless of whether they're a Christian, that's a good thing. That's God's grace. And it should cause them to give glory to our Father who is in heaven and say, you know, there must be something about God's wisdom, which is exceedingly wise if it produces these blessings, which we enjoy, this goodness that we enjoy, even just being in proximity to. You know, I think of the Bergman family. They were the ones who came over and watched all our kids, including Andrew last night. Kate Bergman is a saint. Luke is too, but Kate made Christmas cookies with the kids. She spearheaded that, (laughs) so she gets prime of place. (laughs) Certainly, certainly when there are cookies involved. But the Bergman family, the entire Bergman family, they come over and are an absolute blessing to us. And by extension, they're an absolute blessing to you. They're an absolute blessing to the folks we had dinner with last night. And whether everyone who is being blessed is a Christian or not, God gets glory in that. If we're courteous to people, if we're considerate, if we think of them, if we express care and concern for them, if we love them in a tangible way, sometimes we can do that even all the more when we do it openly. Now, consider Jesus. Consider our example in the Gospels doing mighty works, doing great works, mighty signs and wonders. Even as he was teaching, he wasn't just teaching morals, and he wasn't just telling people, here are some wise sayings, and here's some thought-provoking ideas for you. He was doing good works that God the Father had for him to do all throughout Judea, all throughout Israel, healing the sick, making the lame able to walk again, restoring sight to the blind and hearing to the deaf, casting out demons, having compassion on those who came to hear him and to see him, loving them in a very practical way. And somebody who is, I think, only concerned with the theological aspect here, the philosophical aspect here, the moral aspect here, I think can miss that it's not an either or. And those good works are not just to affirm the message. I disagree with that take, that the good works are just to authenticate the messenger who is speaking for God, who is coming in the name of the Lord. Those good works are also God's grace in and of themselves. Now, both and not good works instead of, but both and together, God's grace. And they do contribute. See, that's the point. They contribute 
Two, belief in the truth about God, glorifying God, worshiping God, giving thanks to God. And at the same time, some who don't like what he has to say, they don't like that he's taking attention away from them. They don't like that he's eroding their authority, their importance in the minds of the people, actually are all the more upset with him as he does good works. They raise a stink when he raises Lazarus from the dead, and they decide from that point forward that they want to kill him. And I think that's also another test for whether we are doing our good works in a public way for the right reasons. Will we do those good works even if we are punished and persecuted and hated for doing those good works? Will we still do those good works even if instead of getting a reward from men, they revile us and they say all manner of evil against us for doing what is good? That's, I think, an important test of our own motives. Now, on the flip side, again, Matthew 6, 1 through 4, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And to JP's point, his question is, are these two things contradictory? We're told to do our good works in such a way that they may be seen by men, and then we're told, beware. But beware is not necessarily don't. Beware is, hey, watch out. You know, driving in heavy, congested rush hour traffic on a Monday evening going into Denver, Google got really weird and sent us off on some rabbit trails. And not just us, but a lot of people. And come to find out there was an accident ahead and Google had received traffic updates and was rerouting us. But in the meantime, I wondered, what in the world? Like, was somebody in the Plex, in the Google Plex, deciding that they don't like me. They've had quite enough of me. They're going to get us lost to where we show up impractically late to this dinner party and I get fired. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) I was getting a little carried away with my speculations. And then as we were getting back on I-25, I saw where the red lights that weren't moving in the southbound lane were stopped. And then I saw for a long, long line nobody moving south on I-25. And then I saw emergency vehicles, first responders vehicles with their flashing lights right about where all the red lights stopped. And I realized, oh, we are getting around an accident that happened. That makes sense. So we get around the accident, we get back on I-25 and we're going along And as we get closer and closer to Denver, the traffic is more and more congested, more and more busy, and quite frankly, dangerous. Because you've got people changing lanes and going back and forth across the interstate because they realize their exit's over there, but they're over here. And you better watch out. And if you're that guy, you better watch out. Make sure you check your corners and your blind spots. But also, you got to go quickly enough or else that gap is closed and you're not getting there. And also if you start slowing down quite a lot and the person behind you doesn't catch that you're slowing down quite a lot to change lanes, well, then they might rear end you. And now that's a danger. And what does beware mean in the context of driving in Denver rush hour traffic when you're late to a Christmas dinner party? Beware doesn't mean stop, don't go, turn around, go home. Beware means check your mirrors, obey all pertinent traffic laws, keep your head on a swivel, drive carefully, because you might just have a collision otherwise. Well, that's what this means as well. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. Beware. Watch out. Be careful. Take care. Now, what are we taking care about here? A couple things. One, 
potentially missing out on the reward that God would give us for doing good works, if we were doing those good works from pure motives, so that he gets the glory and others get the benefit of giving him glory and trusting in him. Beware, watch out, be careful, because you might miss out on, you might lose a better reward here. Not beware lest you start thinking about rewards, and that's very selfish, and shame on you, because good works only count if you're not thinking about rewards. No, no, by all means, do the cost-benefit. Is there a reward to be had in doing this work? If there's not, well, then don't do it. It's a waste of time. There needs to be a benefit. The question is, is there a better reward to be had? Tom Grove preached the sermon on Sunday, and I really appreciate that he went this direction with it. He talked through Matthew 6, 1 through 4, and then spent the rest of the sermon going through passages that talk about rewards. Old Testament, New Testament, it's proper, it's appropriate for us to be motivated by rewards. You know, I was just talking with my kids Sunday afternoon when we got home from church about the marshmallow test and how, humanly speaking, do we acquire more self-control? Yes, it is fruit of the Spirit. Also, too, you can acquire self-discipline, self-control in very pragmatic, practical ways. And this is what I would call just being wise. It doesn't necessarily mean you're a good godly person who loves Jesus just because you're self-controlled, disciplined. Even pagans can be virtuous after a fashion. Augustine makes this point in The City of God with regards to why Rome achieved so much power and wealth and affluence. It's because the Romans were more virtuous. It was beneficial. It was a rewarding thing to be virtuous. And when they let go of virtue, when they became vicious, which literally means cruel, violent, immoral, defective, vicious, well then, that too had a cause and effect type relationship with their power, their prosperity, their affluence, their advancement, a deleterious effect. And others who were more virtuous overtook Rome. But if we do the virtuous thing so that others can see us and we get the reward from them, yeah, there's a reward. You can be rewarded. You can get a benefit, humanly speaking, doing good works to be seen by men. But the marshmallow test, as I was explaining to my sons and my daughter, says that the way to hack that impulse to just take the marshmallow when the researcher steps out of the room and isn't looking, that impulse to take the marshmallow and have it right now because you're a kid and that marshmallow looks pretty tasty, but you could get two if you don't touch it until they come back. The way to hack your impulse and to be self-controlled and restrained when you need to be is to think of a better reward. Don't think about the thing in front of you and how great it would be to just take it right now. Imagine it as something that you don't want and that you don't like in comparison to something that's better. And what's better? Well, for one thing, virtue. For another thing, more reward later. Less reward now, more reward later. This is called delayed gratification as well. And this is absolutely essential to making good decisions, beneficial decisions, wise decisions, being prosperous in your work, in your friendships, in your studies, in your family, and yes, even in your walk with God. When you give to the needy, Jesus says, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. So the contrast here is not, first and foremost, between doing good works for others to see on the one hand and not doing good works for others to see on the other hand. The contrast really is, are you doing this to be seen by men so they praise you, or are you doing this to be seen by men so that they praise God? And if you're not sure, do it privately, do it quietly, do it secretly, so that your left hand doesn't know what your right hand is doing until such a time as you can be sure that you're doing it before men in a way that is honorable 
and will be profitable and will be blessed. If you're giving just to get, well then, what is that? Is that love? Is that generosity? Or is that selfishness? Still, I give because there's strings attached because I want to get something even better. You know, I was thinking this uh, Twilight Imperium game I've been talking about and I talked about quite a lot in yesterday's episode. My oldest son and I had a really good time playing it with our friends, Paul, Jonah, Jude Pavlik, Taylor Cross on Saturday. It was a big, epic, long, long game, 15 hours. And we didn't even finish it because we spent half that time trying to learn the game, which is fine, which is good. That's an investment. But I was neighbors with Jude Pavlik and I was going to trade back and forth with him. And I kept trying to make trades and he's like, I'll just give you this. You could, you could just have it. And I'm like, well, no, I, you should get something in return. No, you can just have it. Jude. <laughs> it was great. It was great. God bless Jude Pavlik. But the point is, that actually should be more of our attitude if we want a reward from God. And, and we should. We should want a reward from God. There's nothing unspiritual or ungodly about that. There can't be when Jesus himself is telling us to be motivated by it. But how do you fight an idea? With a better idea. With another idea. How do you fight the idea that you want this reward right now from these people? Well, ask yourself, is that a better reward than what God is going to give me if I do this differently? If I do it from pure motives? If I do it in the right way? Again, sometimes, sometimes the answer to the question is, I can actually do more good and do this more properly if people see it. Sometimes that is the answer. But the test is, do I want them to praise God as a result of it? Do I want them to be benefited more? If the answer is yes, well then proceed. And your harder temptation might actually be to want to do it secretly and quietly that actually might be the more selfish thing sometimes. It really depends. And we have to do that cost-benefit analysis. Not just the one, not just the other, but when and why and how. And actually, truth be told, that is the spice of life. That gives a variety and it makes it interesting. It makes it fresh. It keeps us trusting in God and it keeps us paying attention. God gave us minds for a reason, for a purpose, so that we would use them, so that we would cultivate them, so that we would develop them. He gave us the ability to make decisions so that we would learn to make good decisions because that brings glory and honor to him. We want to make wise decisions. We want to learn to know the difference between a wise and an unwise or between even sometimes a good and a better thing. Sometimes you can be choosing between something that's good and something that's best. And that's where wisdom is found. It's not always good on the one hand, evil on the other. And you don't have to make evil the option that you don't take. I would say very often you shouldn't. When it is a choice between good and evil, well, then choose the good thing. When it's a choice between several things that seem good, well, that's where we ask God for wisdom, like James talks about. That's where we reap a benefit from thinking on these things, whatever is good true, praiseworthy, commendable, excellent. That's where we reap a benefit because we, through testing, come to know what the perfect will of God is. But speaking of, I think God's will is that I call that it for this episode. I really should run. I'm going to go out to a site and check out some equipment that I'm supposed to be doing some programming with regards to. I need to research how the system is currently configured, how it currently is set up so that I can make it work and then move on to the next thing and the next thing and the next thing I've got from here till the end of the year to work that out, to figure it out. Also, I might just be stopping at Centara to do some last minute Christmas gift buying myself. Not like I might wish I could, but we're all in the same boat. Don't feel bad. Don't feel embarrassed. Don't let it ruin your Christmas. If you're in that boat, take heart. 
God knows. He works all things to the good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. But I am going to get a gift or two. Or I, I mean to. I plan to. But if I mean to and I plan to, I'd best get to it. So I'll leave it at that. As always, thank you for listening. Until next time, God bless. been listening to the garrett ashley mullet show on anchor fm for more content like what you just heard subscribe to this podcast on apple podcasts google podcasts or spotify also check out the garrett to subscribe to email alerts when new episodes are published as always you can reach me with any comments questions complaints objections or insights at garrett ashley mullet at protonmail.com